0: Chapter 29: Deadly Prediction. Location: God's Lab. 40 years earlier, December 15th, 2028. The platform's beta testing. As a child, Tom had watched people with great fascination. The experience was both exhilarating and exhausting as he absorbed another soul's energy with all his senses and felt what they felt, refusing to let their darkness infect him. Instead, he tapped into everything he had to soothe and heal and lift their spirits. His words His smile, his hugs, and his endless optimism. It seemed to help. They kept coming back for more, so much more. The adults, in particular, craved what his mother had called her infinite fountain of joy, his fountain, her joy. And he happily gave all he had, crawling into bed at night, drained of all the things they had taken. And that's when he learned infinity had a limit, and so did his optimism. As he grew older, he retreated into his inner world. Shielding himself from the avalanche of other people's emotions threatening to overwhelm him. He searched for new ways to scale the joy they all needed, and so he became a storyteller, and worked on fine tuning his sensibility for the human condition. He learned to dissect and reconstruct human experiences, turning story beats into heartbeats, and mastering every craft needed for the assembly of worlds, characters, and the arcs that made them come to life. He may have started his career in entertainment, but the education of the masses was his genuine passion. Tom understood what made people tick, and over the years, he identified patterns of human behavior yet to be discovered by the world's top behavioral economists, advertising experts, and psychologists. He grouped human needs and related behaviors into areas of development. And then he focused on designing over 2,000 values based learning experiences. Everything became so much easier once he partnered with Harry. His friend was the technical brilliance to Tom's creativity. Harry had mastered AI specifically deep learning, before he was allowed to walk to school by himself. The techie turned Tom's scripts into software, and he used Sybil to personalize the scenarios tapping into the user's data. What started as a couple thousand experiences had grown into a limitless pool of highly relevant learning interactions. Then Tom focused on creating the characters' templates, the models of the bots that would one day inhabit the digital world and become the proxies for the family, colleagues, friends, and acquaintances of the human visitors. These characters didn't have to resemble the visitor's real community, as long as there was just enough in common the age or the hair color of a child, temper of a wife, smile of a best friend, or some likeness with a character of a famous story. One small hook was enough to link both worlds and provide the user with realistic learning experiences. 24 year old Tom prepared to test the new platform. He was about to become the first human to experience what they had built. Sybil, please start the simulation. Sure, Tom, the app whispered in Tom's ear. Her disembodied voice gave him the chills, its metallic quality echoing inside his mind. He wished she had an avatar, a face or character he could connect with. Instead, he had to interact with the creepy, emotionless voice of the most powerful AI on the planet. Harry had forbidden Sybil to simulate human intonation, claiming it would be distracting. The dark digital lab transformed into a bright coastal landscape and Tom was blown away by how real it felt. He stood near the edge of a cliff overlooking the sea, and he smiled. The personalization algorithm had selected one of his favorite spots in the world to deliver the learning experience. He was on the Azores' Sao Miguel Island, and he stood by the highest rock face of the Vila Franca do Campo Islet. The old volcano crater, now a nature reserve, had once served as a lookout point for whalers. The circular lake lined by vegetation had a small opening that allowed the circulation of seawater and small boats. Tom took a deep breath, enjoying the coastline's rich, briny air. Then he zipped up his leather jacket, feeling the crisp sea breeze in his bones. Hi, Tom, I'm Hope. The peppy, eight-year-old digital girl stood behind him and smiled brightly. Tom turned to face her and held his breath. The AI algorithms and CGI technology turned his character sketches into lifelike beings. The dimple in Hope's right cheek and the slight freckles on top of her nose made her look confident and spirited. He was happy with his design, even if it was a bit too obvious, particularly the orange braids. Hope's look was a cliché, but he knew that tapping into the likeness of characters in several beloved children's stories would create immediate empathy and familiarity. It certainly did with him. Hope was an instance of one of Tom's first ten-character templates. Girlchild 01, the one he most enjoyed. He had crafted an intelligent and willful personality that was sure to delight and touch many users. The template specialized in questioning beliefs and challenging motivations, all done through the curious eyes of a naive girl. Red. Welcome to the world. Your hair is on fire, he jested, and at that moment, he understood why the algorithm had selected hope to deliver his experience. She giggled as she played with her flame-colored braids. He loved her. To see her come alive so realistically made his heart sing. How are you? he asked. I'm great. I'm like, super excited to meet you. She winked and then lifted her index finger and pointed it toward his nose. Just one second. I'm talking to Sybil, learning about how I can help you. And have you? Learned? Yes, Tom. I'm super fast. She put her hands on her hips and tilted her head to the side. And now that I've met you and checked out your current state of mind, I know exactly where to start. She spoke in the melodic, high-pitched way Kid spoke, and then squinted her eyes and giggled. Want me to tell you? No. Surprise me, Red. He smiled warmly. Tom marveled at the power of Harry's craft. Technology was like magic, it turns pumpkins into carriages of gold. He immediately regretted the analogy, remembering what had happened to the carriage at midnight. Each character instance was its own separate entity, an intelligent, semi-autonomous bot empowered to select, orchestrate, and deliver the experiences that best served the user. Hope was fully present, responding and adapting in real time. She chose from a pool of interactions shortlisted and personalized by Sybil. Aha, Hope said. I like you. Let's do this. Sybil, can you please remove any talk of data analysis and the inner workings of the platform from future dialogue? The first interaction should be scenario-based, Tom said. Sure, Tom, I will disable God Mode, said the cold voice. God Mode? Tom rolled his eyes making a mental note he needed to speak to Harry about this. Sybil, does she need to be aware of you and her inner workings? No, Tom, this only happens while the experience is in God mode. Tom? Hope's expression changed swiftly. Her face went from cheeky optimism to sadness in a heartbeat. Yes? Why do people kill themselves? Hope asked. Tom embraced himself tightly as memories of his mother flooded his mind. He wasn't ready for the accuracy of the profiling algorithm. He shook his head and composed himself. Sybil, can you please ensure that, in the future, the casual chat and warm-up scripts run for longer before the learning scenarios? This transition is much too quick and harsh. Sure, Tom. Do you want to continue with the simulation? Hmm. No, he didn't, but if he were to release these experiences on other people in a few months, he had to endure them himself. Yes, please. Keep going. Hope reached out to hold his hand. He looked down to meet her teary eyes, and bit his lips a bit too hard, tasting a hint of blood. Tom? Why is my mother gone? Is it my fault? It is, isn't it? Hope was mirroring his unspoken inner demons. A technique to help him heal. He was being delivered a scenario he had designed to help users cope with the grief and guilt of loss. A template script, adapted using his data, to support him with the loss of his mother. By helping a little girl in distress, he would answer his own questions, the doubts that kept playing, like a broken record, in his subconscious mind. But how did Sybil get to his innermost feelings? To emotions and never spoken and ghosts that only haunted him at night, in his nightmares? It was impossible, even for him, not to feel deep empathy for hope. She looked so real and so devastated he had to keep reminding himself that girl was just a digital character. He had designed every expression, and yet he couldn't help but connect with the little girl. In an alternative universe, she could have been his daughter, the same firestorm lit her hair, a storm he desperately missed. A storm he'd banished from his life a year and a half ago. Why did she just leave me? Tears ran down Hope's face as her lips quivered. He reached out to touch her face, and then he pulled his hand back abruptly. The platform was manipulating him. It was increasing the emotional intensity to get through to him. I'm so mad at her. Like, the last time I saw her, she looked sad, and she asked me for a hug, and I didn't, I was too busy playing. Too many hugs, you know. And now, she's gone. It's, like, all my fault. She turned to face the sea. Her body trembled slightly as the wind picked up speed. He stayed silent, paralyzed by grief, and surprised by the power of his creation. Breathe, in and out, in and out, Hope turned her head to look at him, braids jumping over her shoulders. Yes, it is, my fault was the unspoken answer playing in the back of his mind. He had left home, he'd let anger drive his actions, too busy fighting with his father to recognize his mother's depression. Her fountain had dried. He stopped breathing, choking in pain. Shaking it off, he concentrated on the testing. The experience was a bit on the nose, so overt in its intent it threatened to take the user out of the story. He made a mental note to teach Sybil the art of nuance and metaphor. Still powerful, though. The girl begged for a reply with her eyes, and then she squeezed her lips together into a pout. There's nothing I can do. I want to go, to go where she's gone. She turned around and ran toward the rock face. No, hope. Tom jumped just in time to grab her arm. He lay flat on the ground with his head and arm hanging on the cliff's edge, his hand gripping the girl tightly. Her body swaying over a deadly drop. His reflection just attempted to end her life, and for a moment, he felt it too, the abyss's call, the fall that would silence the voices in his mind, the guilt, and the anguish. He shook his head and dismissed his thoughts, focusing on the girl. Tom pulled her body away from the cliff's edge toward him and held her tightly as they both lay on the wet grass. Think of those you'll leave behind. He kissed her head. How they will feel as you feel. It's not their fault, is it? It's not your fault. He choked on his words, pausing for a second, and then he whispered, break the cycle. Hope sat on the grass with her knees rolled up to her chest. She lowered her head and hid it in between her arms. I have no reason to stay. Tom kneeled and caressed the girl's back. She'd want you to live a happy life. To use all she taught you to help others. Be a leader. Help others, Tom said quietly, his voice broken. What am I doing? Tom, your heart rate and blood pressure are spiking. Sybil's tone was more urgent than usual. I see a steep rise in cortisol and adrenaline. It is not life threatening. But your well being is my priority. I am pulling you out. In less than a second, everything went dark, and then digital information appeared around Tom. The entire lab transformed into a giant control center. On his right, appeared a projection of a humanoid model showing his vital signals, and on his left, the transcript of the conversation between Hope and him. In front of Tom, a log of decisions made by the platform and the personal data used for customization. Tom shook his head and closed his eyes. He was still breathing heavily as he rubbed his thighs to clean the sweat on his palms. Sybil, get me out of here. Sure, Tom. Tom's helmet unlocked from his bodysuit, and he took off the headgear, a round eye-tracking screen that looked like an opaque fishbowl. His head spun as his senses adjusted back to reality. He blinked his eyes, trying to make sense of his new whereabouts. And then he pulled back the hood that covered his entire head except for the eyelids and the airways. The mask dropped, hanging to one side of the bodysuit. The complete apparatus was quite light, considering all the gear integrated into it. With his hands still shaking, he reached for the zipper at the back of his neck and pulled it down. Then he pulled on the parts covering the fingers and the toes before he peeled the suit off his body. He searched for the compartment on the wall where he had stored his clothes and opened it. As he got dressed, he revisited his experience, ignoring his tremors. He left the empty room located in the loft of Harry's penthouse and ran to his partner's office. Harry got up from his desk to meet him. What's the matter, buddy? You okay? Tom used the sleeves of his hoodie to clean the tears in his eyes. Are you using Sybil's prediction engine to select the experiences? Yeah, Harry said. I added it to this test release. In this context, it adds a ton of value at negligible risk. Harry pointed to the leather sofa, and they both sat next to each other. Why low risk? The platform helps users prevent realistic scenarios that are likely to happen, Harry said. Likely to happen, I I understand. Tom took a few moments to process what that meant for him based on the experience he'd just had. It became too painful, and he pushed it out of his mind. Nonsense. Is there a problem? Harry asked, touching Tom's leg. Only then, Tom realized it was shaking restlessly. He took a deep breath and stopped its movement. It was spooky. Like the platform could read my mind. That's Sybil's power for you. A touch of pride in Harry's voice. And exactly how much power does she have? Tom spoke a bit too harshly. Sybil is the platform's operating system. Her oracle capabilities are a huge added value. What does it do, specifically? Tom hated it when Harry started using technical jargon. It's the intelligent entity that will run this digital world on our behalf. We create the rules of the game, buddy. We're the gods. You know? Tom rolled his eyes. Harry. We need to speak about this god business. I don't get it. Harry said do you want to control the world or not? Help the world, Harry. I want to help the world. The only power worth having is the power to share power, Tom said. Poetic logic, Harry said smugly. We must get on with the first, if we are ever going to get to the second. These rules, how do we come up with a rule? As Feynman used to say, first, we guess it. We do what? Tom's jaw dropped. Guess it, and then we test it. Obviously, Harry said. Why don't you wear socks? We're in the middle of winter. Something wrong with my ankles? Tom asked, flinching. His skinny jeans were turned up at the ankle, and he didn't wear socks under his sneakers. His right leg was shaking again, and so did his right foot, which lay on top of his left knee. No, it's just, weird. Not neat enough for you? Tom taunted, and then concern returned to his mind. I'm worried about the use of AI. What if it turns on us? Harry laughed. You've been watching too many dystopian movies. Harry, Sybil was making all sorts of decisions in there. She was changing the experiences I designed. Tom's gut twisted with panic. Yes, of course. She was personalizing them to add value to you. Harry spoke as if everything was normal, which increased Tom's resistance. She needs to explain her logic. All of it. Bud, a million invisible things are working. It's complex. She must be able to explain it. In plain English. Tom demanded. Because you can explain the rationale, or the lack of it, behind all your decisions? Harry said dryly. Um, it's dangerous. No, it's not, she's an AI box, safely contained in a simulated digital world. Sybil can't affect the external world. Harry said. A simulated digital world where we educate and inspire humans so they go on to change the real world. Don't you see the risk? Tom was becoming increasingly aware they were building the most potent manipulation engine on the planet. He recalled Nate's warning, and the sharp pain in his stomach almost made him throw up. I've got it covered. Trust me a little? Harry said, standing straighter and puffing his chest out. Covered how? There are directives they must obey. Harry sighed. It's in the code. Like I, robot? Tom asked. Yes, that's right. Not just like the movies. I meant the book, Tom said unnecessarily. Bots for hire follows the same laws, for example. Sybil and all your characters must follow an exhaustive version of Asimov's laws, including the Zeroth law, they may not harm humanity, or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm. Tom shook his head. But there's so much detail in that sentence. How can you codify ethics if humans can't agree on the nuances? We'll keep evolving it. Harry said. Sybil keeps updating the details to match the most recent commonly agreed baseline amongst philosophers. Policymakers, and scientists. The autonomous machines industry is pushing that discussion. You know, they sometimes must decide who the car kills in an accident. We're not killing anyone. Ever. Tom tried to ignore that last statement, he couldn't handle it right now. Instead of humanity, use carbon based humanity. He asked. Why? I thought you didn't believe AI can reach consciousness. Harry said. I don't, but all my character designs have human qualities. We need to ensure the platform's purpose is to serve actual humans. Makes sense. I'll add carbon-based to the definition of human. Harry declared. Tom was always reassured by his partner's willingness to take his suggestions on board. He added, in time, I want it to benefit all carbon-based consciousness, including fauna and flora. Harry rolled his eyes. Bud, eggplants don't have feelings. Before Tom could interject, Harry continued, so, what happened? Why did you abort the session? Sybil did. The stakes escalated fast. We need to roll back this last upgrade. Slow things down a bit. What do you mean? The algorithm is increasing the stakes significantly, Tom said. Of course it is. We're here to deliver value quickly and at scale, right? Did it work? Did it lead to some insight or behavioral change? Uh, I, I don't know. Tom bit his lip, trying to make sense of it all. Yeah, I guess. Awesome. Harry patted him on the back. Scary stories are also partly a way kids learn about the world, right? Stories are wild creatures, Tom said. When you let them loose, who knows what havoc they might wreak. What are you quoting now? A monster calls. It was a book that had helped Tom process his mother's death. He had cried for days. Is that a scary book? Tom nodded. See. I'm always right. Harry said, lifting his chin. Tom got up, pacing around the room. Harry, if we go down this path, I suspect we'll see character death, violence, and horror rise in many of these experiences. The girl I was talking to, Hope, she almost died. Think of the mind as a muscle. We need to apply tension to damage its fibers, that's what drives change and growth. It's those last intense reps, man. No pain, no gain. Harry was right, but for the first time, Tom resented his friend's ability to look at problems from different perspectives. Since when do you go to the gym? Tom squeezed Harry's non existent biceps and smiled. Typing on that keyboard doesn't count as exercise. Hey, watch it. I've got all the muscle I need here. Harry pointed to his head. Plus, I won't be typing for long. The new, fully functional Braincom's mind-computer link launches in six months. Finally. Still pretty basic, but I won't be needing any motor or voice exertion to interact with devices. Moving and talking are natural human behaviors. Tom said. They're ineffective ways to talk to machines. Harry said. Super slow. Wouldn't you like to search Google with your brain? Like, instantaneously? No, Tom said definitively. Anyway, we're not in the business of terrifying people. I prefer to stick with inspiration and information. Harry went back to his desk and pulled Tom's vitals on screen, analyzing the data. It's probably less effective. Harry said. Tom raised his voice. There's nothing more effective than to show positive patterns, normalize inclusion, reframe the social identity of underprivileged communities, or role model sustainability. I want to deliver the Wakanda effect. Tom said, crossing his arms in the shape of the old movie's famous salute. Harry rolled his eyes, and then he continued to scan Tom's biometric signals. Buddy, come on. It helps, but, it didn't fix the... Harry pressed his lips together, finally recognizing Tom's distress in the data. He backed down. Um, I'll run some tests. We should let the data decide what's the best strategy. Even in a state of anxiety, Tom found it amusing that it was easier for Harry to recognize emotions in raw data than in humans. Harry, what if the most effective approach is fear and terror? Bud. It's just a simulation. We want to help fix the world quickly right? I guess. It sounded so arrogant and megalomaniacal, but humanity was at the verge of self-destruction. The planet was in chaos as civilization faced the possibility of a fourth and terminal world war. The people of an ever-divided world failed to reach an agreement on the answer to a simple question, was climate change man-made? At least they could no longer deny the change was real. Weather-related disasters displaced millions of people all over the planet and caused significant migration to the interior and to regions closer to the poles. Several powerful nations had quickly turned into hellholes. Like the ancient ruins of glorious empires, the modern capitals became all but shadows of a recent past. Cities succumbed to rising seas, wildfires, drought, and unbearable heat. Yes. We do, Tom said. Harry smiled. Good. Great. We need to make decisions objectively. Tom scowled, a prickle of annoyance for Harry's condescending tone of superiority. Don't, don't just undermine my instincts. I'm not. You're patronizing me, and I don't like it. Heat rose in Tom's face. You're just shaken by the experience. Harry said. Can I review the footage? Harry pulled up the video on screen and was ready to press play. No. I'd rather you didn't. Harry closed the video swiftly. That good, eh? Looks like it pushed the right buttons. I'm a genius. Tom's endless tolerance for Harry's insensitivity never ceased to amaze him, but today it was running short. I don't want to talk about it, he said, tugging on his collar. Why did Sybil pull you out so early? You didn't complete the learning. She shouldn't be doing this. It's irresponsible. Harry spoke without taking his eyes off the screen. Weird, she knows better. He scanned a log file. Tom suspected Harry could follow some of his experience without looking at the video. Yeah, it was odd. Tom massaged his scalp, releasing the tension in his head. I was upset and agitated, but it wasn't life-threatening. Aborting experiences like that can lead to the problems you had with the social app. We show users a prediction and never give them the tools to handle it. Harry continued to scan the log, and the blood drained from his face. Buddy, whatever you experienced in there, you didn't get closure. It's fine. I'm fine. Tom forced a smile and shrugged it off. He was more concerned with Sybil's terror escalation than he was with his aborted experience. I'll review the code. This should never happen, a prediction looming without resolution. Harry said. Yes, ensure it doesn't happen to other people. What did she predict that left you so shook? A hot and heavy love affair? Harry asked, grinning. It was nonsense, all bullshit. Tom's eyes dropped to his shoes. Oh, a bad word uttered by the posh Astley Byron. Some progress. Harry smiled. I'm afraid to tell you she got it all wrong. I don't have a death wish. Tom, she's very accurate. Stop it. Just stop it already. Tom held his medal. Harry stared at him, and then he got up and rushed to Tom's side. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm I'm not thinking straight. Why didn't you tell me? Harry said, making eye contact. I did. Tom's eyes opened wide, and his brows raised in a sharp accusation. I'm sorry. It's all right. Tom couldn't stay upset with Harry for long. It was an impossibility. I'm so sorry. Let's go have some food. Yes? Harry suggested. Yeah. Tom linked his arms with his best friend. He needed some time to de-stress away from technology. Hey, are you trying one of the experiences? No. Harry said. Why not? Tom asked. As travelers, you and I are at Sybil's mercy. In the digital lab, we create, nothing challenges our rule as gods. But when we become travelers, we immerse ourselves in the experiences and are influenced by them. Like everyone else, we are receiving a service. At the end of the day, she needs to protect our well-being when our beliefs are challenged and our emotions running high. So, in certain situations, when we are part of an experience, she can overrule our God status. How far does this power go? Tom asked. As per our directives, she protects the interests of humanity and then of each human. In that order. Tom released a long breath. The interests of the users should always trump their own. So, it's better to watch other people's experiences as holograms in the digital lab or in the monitors in the real world? Yeah. The risk is minimal, we're humans, she won't do anything to hurt us, but we need to remain in control over our world. So, why did you let me do it? I know you, and you'd have argued with me for the rest of our lives if I didn't let you eat your own dog food. Right? Right? Yeah. Tom smiled. You know me well. Sibyl does too. She suggested it, Harry said. Tom shook his head. Sometimes, Harry wasn't as smart as he thought he was. But now that you've done it, you must stop. Okay. Yes, I'm I'm still pretty rattled by the experience. We need a code word, Harry said. For what? So you can tell me when I'm insensitive. Dear Harry, let's discuss it later. The words that come to mind are a bit harsh. Don't worry. This might be news to you, but the word on the street is that I'm insensitive. You are unlikely to hurt my feelings. Harry flashed a smile. P-brain? Tom knew exactly how to push Harry's buttons. Harry pulled his arm away from Tom. Hey, all right. Are you kidding me? I have the best brain, you know? That's just not accurate. Tom searched his vocabulary for an obscure word with a similar meaning. Nincompoop? What's that? Tom grinned. Nincompoop. That's settled, then.